0: Hey there, beautiful people, and welcome to Articulating, a biweekly podcast that highlights the Black and Brown experience at independent schools. My name is Gina Parker-Collins. I am an indie school mom and founder of RISE Resources in Independent School Education, and we focus on access, application, and enrollment among families of color across the country.
1: Yay! Hey, and I'm Sam Osborne. I'm a RISE advisor and proud alum of a New York City independent school. I just completed my MBA from Wharton, and I'm headed to a management consulting firm in the spring. And it's not just the scholars' experiences you'll hear. You'll get perspectives from alumni, educators, and the most respected thought leaders in this space.
0: In today's episode, Sam and I discuss the unique college admission experience that many Black and Brown scholars face with co-authors Timothy Fields and Shereem Herndon Brown of the soon-to-be-released book, The Black Family's Guide to College Admissions. Timothy Fields is a graduate of Morehouse College and a senior associate dean of admission at Emory University. And Shereem Herndon Brown is a graduate of Wesleyan University and founder of Strategic Admissions Advice, an educational consulting company specializing in college counseling curriculum creation for charter schools and school districts, online essay courses, and personalized college advice coaching. Follow us on Instagram at articulating that's Artic. period you lady. Thanks for listening.
1: So just congratulations. First of all, hats off to you. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep singing your praises. There's so much content out there for black people, but it's very clear that the audience is not black people. And I just love your references. You referenced Soul Plane. I really appreciated that. Um, I also <laughs>
2: Thank you, Sam. Shereen wanted to take it out. I said you people keep it. It. <laughs> So I, I, I'm here for it, Sam. I will yeah. take credit for that. One.
1: Please, yes. Now, listen to Tim, Shereen, please. Could you describe just how you decided how this seed was planted um, and could you talk us through just where you took it from there and deciding to
3: co-author? Give you a quick snapshot is that during the summer of 2020, the racial reckoning, we'll all call it right. But however they want to phrase in the media, uh, once the Black at IG post started flooding in, in June, I was in a hotel in North Carolina, I'll never forget it. And I'd read an article about some schools in Atlanta, you know, having these Black at IG posts. And then my own independent school, which is West Town School in Pennsylvania, uh, boarding school, also had a black at IG, you know, page. And I started reading it and I started reading the poly prep one and I started reading the Riverdale countries. And then I started reading all these different schools black at. And I was literally just just I was disappointed. I wasn't surprised. I worked in independent schools as a college counselor. I'd gone to independent schools as all my life. So I knew that that these microaggressions were out there, but now students had a platform to share with the world. Tim and I had met each other years before in New Orleans at a NACAC. NACAC is the National Association of College Admissions Counselors Conference. We met each other. We both happened to live in Atlanta. We had lunch, you know, just kind of like black man to black man, college admissions, was having lunch. And, and over How many time, other
1: black men were at this conference? I'm curious.
3: I mean, we can count on maybe two hands, you know? Okay. And and again, I think we bonded over Outcast. We both liked Outcast. Uh, we both were you know married, had kids, and we we're both writers. And what we have done over the next you know year, year and a half is produce something that we're really proud of. And um, we're just proud that that we did it and that we hope that it will really serve the purpose that it's intended, which is to illuminate light on the college admissions process for black people.
1: So important. And, oh, please, Tim, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I was just going to add, and, and then we also wanted to highlight that Black people aren't a monolith, that there are Black people who have a certain type of thought on how they want their kids to go to college, and then there are others. I think one of the things that often, one of the things I highlighted, I think there are kind of three different populations. And, um as far as Black parents think about college, there's a, I went to PWI, I think they're better. I think they represent the diversity of the world better. So that's where I'm going to send my kids. HBCUs don't represent diversity of the world and don't prepare them. Then there are people who I went to HBCU, my kids going to HBCU, my money going to HBCU, and that's just how it's going to be. And then I think there's a small, uh, the, the larger population is I'm going to build out a list. There's going to be both HBCUs, PWIs, and we're going to consider them and we're going to figure out which college is best for my child.
1: Um, So there was an emotional response to this racial reckoning. And you felt that this book would do
3: what? Emotional response is an understatement. I was livid. And I was livid because I'd seen it in so many different manifestations throughout my professional and personal life. The solution I wanted, and Tim is right, the book has evolved. I wanted to call out the private schools. Real talk, right? The independent school community and how they treat Black kids in this process. I wanted to point fingers and and let people know that their time, their money, their expectations of these private schools was was going to be um, disappointing in the end. And Tim, like he said, balanced me out and said, look, we have to not put the onus exclusively on the private schools. We have to help Black people understand what they could do differently in this process, what they should be doing in order for it to be a true partnership in terms of watching the Black kids ascend. But we have to balance it to make sure that it's a guide for families and it's a guide for education. How
1: would you describe uh, the private school experience that you wanted to highlight?
3: What I've seen is that Black families, whether they begin as early as elementary school and go through middle school and upper school, have an expectation that at the pinnacle of the high school experience, the senior year, that their private school tuition, time, the microaggression that their kid have gone through will result in an Ivy League institution, let's just, you know, broad brush strokes. And that isn't how it often happens in particularly in the counseling process, college counselors, depending on the general statement, sometimes don't understand that that's a black family's expectation, right? And then because they get to the end of the process and they say, well, you should go to UConn and not even apply to Columbia, Right, and So we're looking at that text. That's a a, a surprise to the family. They take it as a slap in the face. They feel like it's being rude, where I think that we can adjust some of that by handling some of the things earlier in the front end. What courses are you taking? Are you doing the test prep? What extracurriculars are you involved with? So just going to the school doesn't equal Ivy League admission. And that's where there's often a disconnect. Um, The school counselors, for their part, need to understand that black families need to aren't a monolith and they need to have a broad spectrum of school choices. And there need to be some HBCUs that are not just named. We have a whole chapter about it. the black Ivies, Howard Morehouse, Spelman. We interviewed independent school counselors who are white. And those are the only ones they could really name. And we knew that. And 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 to some extent, even in our black community, those are the ones that we kind of hold in higher esteem. I look at it from the lens as you've had every opportunity.
2: We're gonna assume that your parents paid for you to go to this school. So thus you being at this school, you had a lot of opportunity. Did you take advantage of the curriculum that was available at that school? Did you take advantage of the resources that that school had to offer you? Because just going to that school does not get you in to the selective schools, the Ivies of the country. And I think sometimes that's what Black people think. They're like, if my kid goes to this good school, it's going to help them get into these colleges. And what we're looking at it is that, you know, your dad's a doctor, your mom's a lawyer, you've had every opportunity in the world, and you're just at this school taking the the, the lowest level courses, and you think that you're going to get into this Ivy League school. So what I called it is the Huxtable effect. You know, you got the Huxtables, you got everything, and then you want to arrive at this place, you know, coming from a high socioeconomic background to say, oh, I've been struggling. No, that's, that's not the case. And so the lens but the college you're looking at it is going is completely uh, different, and where they're going to have expectations that you have been at this school. What have you done to prepare yourself uh, to uh, get admission?
0: But just so you know, not all, not all of not all independent school black and brown families are the Huxtables. So <laughs> a lot of them are struggling just to get through. You know, um, to make it to pay tuition. Um, so there, so we're not a monolith there either. But I totally agree with you. If you are going to be at a school that has a tremendous amount of resources, what are you going to do with it, right? And um, I think that's extremely important. So, what do you think the uh, point of view is? The POV is Shreem, of the college counselor in the K through twelve school. What are their priorities?
3: Independent schools' priority. Is to, yes, um, serve students to help students. I'm never going. I send my kids independent schools. Let's be clear, you know, I, I'm not um, going to rail against them.
1: Uh oh. <laughs> disclaimer.
3: <laughs> but disclaimer. But there's a there, there are institutions that have, that report to a board of trustees that get funding from a variety of sources. The board report that a board of trustees gets at an annual meeting wants a certain kind of school on that list. So an independent school is oftentimes charged with finding the right match and fit for the kid. Yes, as priority, but very closely tied to that is the selectivity and prestige of the schools in which they're going to. Um, It makes the school feel better. It's what they they advertise on their admissions uh, websites. You know, our kids go to these schools, right? So let's let's be very clear. Independent schools want the best schools on their on their school profile. So I, I think, remember
1: getting that mail. Uh, yeah. You would get it every single year as a student, and parents would literally count the ivies, count yeah. the you know the prestigious institutions, try to name who got where, et cetera. Oh my goodness, yeah. so stressful.
3: I think independent schools are well intentioned. They are, are, are they want kids to succeed, but they also at the bottom line have to make sure that they can keep humming the way they have been.
0: You know, what I find so interesting as a parent who has gone through the college process twice at an independent school is how black students, you know, considering they want this list to look so prestigious, why they are have lower expectations of black students, uh, why they are not uh, forthcoming with more highly selective schools, I find it it is the parent and the student who have to um, advocate for these selective schools to be at the top of the list. And so I just find that so interesting. I mean, I can only chalk that up to bias, right? The stereotypes, Um, but at the same time, our students continue to overperform. They are keeping those selective schools on their list. And they're getting in. So I, I this this under expectation, I just don't know where it comes from, other than it just being part of a systemic problem.
2: When you talk about the top 20, 25 schools in the country, these a lot of these college counselors, are like we're only gonna get a couple in. Which ones am I am I going to put forward? Is it gonna be realistic for this student? And so they're really kind of saying, I'm just not gonna send a whole list. We send a couple. We think those are going to be competitive in the process. Those are going to be the ones that are going to move forward. I think the other backstory, and which is really happening as things have evolved with the Common App and a lot more students applying to different schools, it's harder to determine Like how, how are decisions made. And so if you have a school group, so let, let, let's say name your school in Manhattan, Independent, wherever, and there are 10 students that apply, there are a lot that would think that okay, the top student who had the highest GPA or highest test score, that's going to be the person admitted and go one through 10. What ends up happening is the first person may be denied. The second person may be waitlisted. The third person may be waitlisted. The fourth person may be admitted. Okay, why are they admitted? They're a legacy. They're an athlete. There's something about that student. And so it becomes harder for the school to have a narrative of how did this student get in because they don't know. They want to say, oh, we have this great school. The top students are going to these schools when, in fact, the selectivity has reached a point to the top. This top students may not get in like literally, you know, to get into these top like schools, you need a hook like you need to be an athlete. You need to be a legacy. You need to be recruited in some type of way. So just the idea of just a
3: regular case development case. Yeah, there you go.
0: What's the development uh, case? What is a development case? Yeah, so i explain that.
3: that? A development case of someone whose family is making a donation to the school. So there are benefactors of universities that give a significant amount of money to benefit the university, period. Hopefully that is, should not be tied to an admissions favor later. It often is. So... Um, You know, it is what it is. Money, money talks.
1: Money does talk. I I can't be mad at it. I did not know that was called development case. And this kind of. Yeah, that was a
3: pretty
0: package. That's a pretty name for that.
1: I love that name.
3: Institutional advancement.
1: I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so interesting. I've never heard that phrase, but I have heard affirmative action case. Mm -hmm. I've heard that's why you got in one person who's going to be, you know, 10% at part of a 10% population at PWI, Tim, you talked about a college counselor sort of looking at their students as, okay, who am I going to bucket for this? Who am I going to bucket for that? It makes me think of of them having an agenda per se, or them having a list of priority students. Am I correct to think that?
2: I mean, I would say yes. That yeah, yeah, they do prioritize. You know, okay, we're gonna you know push uh, students towards here. You know, probably gonna say this is a good fit for the student here. You know, ten years ago, counselors had relationships, and I'm speaking specifically the independents where they could call a certain type of a school and they could say, hey, I really like this student. The students would be really good fit, and then they could push for that student to get in that school. A lot has changed since then and not so much. College counselors, I think, have to make decisions based upon their relationship with these schools, based upon realistic expectations about who can who can get in. And then I think some of it is just they don't want to set students up for denies. I I think they have enough knowledge to know, I know this school, I know kind of historically what type of student they've had admitted. This student is not going to get admitted. So why are we going to spend our energy trying to push towards this school if we know you're not going to get an admission now we can talk about ha- their thoughts of the student and whether or not that's realistic or not undermatching. but i do think there is that you know part of the college counseling uh work that they have to say you know we want to set this student up for success and just because a parent is because a student say we want to apply to this school sometimes doesn't mean they should apply to that school because the college counselor may know this isn't going to work so we need to kind of shift our thinking. And then I think that's kind of where our book comes in to where we wanna kind of help educators to kind of expand that list. Whereas beyond just to kind of these certain type of schools, oh, if you can't get into top 20 school, then we'll look at these small liberal arts colleges in the middle of nowhere that, you know, there are over 4,000 schools in this country and all of them uh, do have opportunities
3: uh, for students. Let me add something to that, Sam, just so you said the word agenda. And again, I'm gonna be careful not to let the pit bull out the cage here. Once upon a time, there was opportunities for schools and particularly independent counselors to negotiate about students. That time has passed. It is still a relationship um, based situation in which colleges are aware of the curriculum and academic expectations, rigor of certain independent schools in particular, and can gauge some of their admission upon that preparation that they had in high school. A student can only go to one school. A top student, if he, gets into, he or she gets into all 12 schools that they apply to, they can only go to one. So does it behoove a college counselor to tell one of the schools that they're most likely not going to go to? You might not want to waste your admit on that kid and take the kid beneath them because they might actually come. So there's a yield gain. A lot of this depends on management. Colleges want to admit kids and yield them. I mean, they, they come more than anything. So just admitting a kid and then, then not coming doesn't make sense. And that's where the college counselor, I don't want to say plays chess with kids' lives, but it is a strategic maneuver that they sometimes can still do.
0: But um, there, there is this. there are these nuanced conversations that a college counselor can have with a student who is a good match for a school um, as they're playing chess, it comes up and I and I, I want parents to be aware that these conversations can be happening when you're not around. So what would you say parents need to do to make sure that this level of undermatching when it's not appropriate is mitigated? There was an
3: article several years, about two years ago now, uh, from Sidwell Friends, an elite private school in Washington, D.C., where a Black family sued Sidwell for undermatching their daughter, and they felt that their daughter had taken a curriculum in which was deserving of an Ivy League spot, and they didn't get it, and they were angry at the school. I think that's a bit extreme. I think that there's a way, like you said, to partner Parents have to be communicative with the school and the school counselor. And the people who are beating down their doors to communicate with them, you should be one of those people too. Parents need to be abreast of the school calendars and protocols and procedures. School, um, the the parents need to fill out questionnaires and be uh, attentive to what the school's expecting of them in terms of the process. And the earlier parents can do that. Again, it could be upon entering high school and building a rapport with that college office of look, this, we know this college process is coming. I What can I do with you and my child to make X amount of schools an option? And again, you can if you want to say outright, I want these selective schools and they may hit you back with a, we want the good match and fit. Okay, great. You tell me what's the blueprint to get into said school. Was it taking which classes, getting what grades, getting what test scores, doing what extracurriculars? There is a rhythm to this that can happen as early as seventh, eighth, ninth grade, kind of starting with it. And then hopefully you'll have the 12th grade outcome that you want. So a lot of affluent white families are aware of the blueprint and have the resources to feed into the blueprint. And it's not automatic or formulaic, but it is substantive and helpful for the college admissions program uh, process later. Throughout the book, you know, me
2: and Shereem have our, our tangents that we go on. And, and, and one of my tangents is the student having a voice in this process. And, I'm, you know, I'm not only going to talk about Black parents. I'm just going to talk about parents in general in this process do too much for their children. I'll be sitting at a front desk and I'm checking in and the mom will be filling it out. And I was like, hey, the student can fill that out. Like, you know, you, you don't need to fill that out for your child. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. most of the questions in the information session Come from the parents, and the student is just sitting there. So yes, it does stand out when that student asks a question. And it's it's I've, a, got, it's
1: a, I've got PTSD. I'm so sorry because <laughs> when I tell you, I used to go on college tours with my mom, and sometimes I would just leave the room because literally, you would have thought she was applying to colleges.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's no, 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 that's my life. It's You're no, not applying to college.
1: Yeah, we're paying that. We're paying that
2: tuition. <laughs> I give out my cards all the time, and I encourage students to reach out to me. And ninety percent of the times they don't they don't reach out to me. But I appreciate those students who do reach out to me and advocate for themselves. That does play a part in this process. So you know, I, th- I think students should really you know use their voice more in this process.
3: I need to I need to push back on something. This is where Tim and I have a beautiful relationship. <laughs> I think parents should be involved in this process. I say that because there are other cultural communities tiger mom think about the, that kind of book think about the development cases who uh, are, are kind of leaving breadcrumbs for their kids to get into certain schools very early on you know families are literally saying who do i know on a board going on a website to see if they can connect the dots while that is the unfortunate reality of the world i don't think black families need to quote unquote play it fair when everybody else isn't always playing it fair Now, helicopter parents depends on your kid, honestly. But because college can cost upward to $300,000, I'll be damned if I'm not involved with my kid's school list. We base colleges on cost, location, major, and career. That's how I built college lists professionally. That's how I did with my own kid. How much is going to run us? Where is it at? what's gonna be your major and what's the end game. And I think black families need to keep that as part of the conversation. So because 16, 17 year olds can't navigate that very well, they don't have the context that we have uh, as adults. I don't think kids should go into this process solo. I really think it's a, a family thing that other demographics have treated it as such. And I think that they're winning.
0: Well, Tim, I got your back. I got your back, Tim, because I think I don't think that you were totally saying that parents shouldn't be a part of this. Right. I think I was hearing that that students need to to step up their game, too. Right. Yeah. They need to demonstrate that that. And and I agree with you as well, um, Kareem. I think that um, to take parent involvement even to another level, I think that networking um is extremely important there's we we have to have a game plan too
1: so I, I just wanted to throw out that ego idea because we are talking about the parents involvement and how sometimes that involvement can become too much and so i really loved how the book talks about ego and i just wanted to highlight a quote um, that I just loved, Um, I can't remember who it was, but someone was speaking to um, a father contemplating public or private. And your answer to them was, do you want them to get a good education or do you wanna tell your friends they go to private school? I I gotta say, can I just say, I
0: wanted both. Uh, I'm not gonna (laughs) lie. I wanted a good education. I wanted a good education and and I, you know, um, again, I believe that wherever our children go to school, as long as we're there as parents to support them, they're going to do well, whether it's public or private. I, everything's in divine order. But I do wait for people to ask me, well, where do your kids go to school? Oh, you asked, right? Um, that's the ego
2: part. I'll say that's one of my close friends I went to school with. And I think a lot of it's like knowing who who that person is. And ultimately uh, they ended up at going to uh, the public school. She's successful. She's going through the process uh, now. She has some IVs that she's looking at and, and they're, they're situated in a good place.
1: In the book, you touch on racial, on the racial wealth gap. And I think you bring it up in the context of what is the purpose a college education or a liberal arts education is this where the conversation begins? So is this where we address the racial wealth gap, a college education?
3: Oh, Sam, um, it is a big question that is very important to me that I think, and this, this, so Tim and I wrote most chapters independently. There are 12 chapters, I believe, I want to say we both probably wrote four independently and four together. Yeah, right. So liberal arts education. The best my, ones were written by me, Sam. The ones you enjoyed, those are mine. But, but we're talking, but we're talking about the one that I wrote right now because she asked about the one that I wrote. So uh, ask, everybody stay in a lane. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. The, I, the, the, the title of the chapter is called Liberal Arts is a Luxury, and that's very intentional. I do not want to be dismissive of liberal arts education not being necessary or less than there's something for everybody. However, white students, students from privilege who can go to a liberal arts school and graduate are oftentimes already in a network that will be that will employ them quickly and can accelerate I have found that other students, particularly black students who graduate from liberal arts schools, don't have that same network. So they find themselves having to then go to graduate school to get a quote unquote skill to work in finance or something of that ilk to go further. So although I value my Wesleyan education and being able to think critically, I asked the question of for 300 grand, what are you thinking about? Because if the end game is to be employable, you should be doing something within college to get yourself a job or, you know, earn a salary post-graduation.
0: Can I just interject here? Because yeah. I made mine real simple to my my daughter who's at Brown. Okay. I said, do not graduate from Brown and not be able
3: to pay yourself. Pay yourself. Pay the loans back that you got.
0: Right. So I didn't. I didn't want her to be uh, dependent. I went a step further. You don't even need to be dependent on anyone other than yourself. You get your skills together, and that was the entrepreneurial route for me. Right. Like, I. You should not be dependent upon anybody to pay you. You should be able to pay yourself. So that that was my thing. That was that's that you know that was my expectation for my tuition payments.
3: And Gina, I don't disagree with you. I. Being an entrepreneur is has its challenges. Is, is not everybody's built for it. I do think there's some there, there's something to be said about being an apprentice for a while and working under someone oh, yeah, and understanding sure. how uh, a mm-hmm. structure and and, and systems and, and corporate whatever word you want to use works. So I am pro employment. I'm in pro getting a job for someone who's 22 to 27. Absolutely, but if you graduate with college without quote unquote skills, I think
2: you're
3: I think you're in, think you're sure. in trouble. So I think cool. so. I think we have to talk about vocations and trade and 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 business. Sounds and like finance. Booker
0: T Washington right here. It sounds like Booker T. Okay. I,
3: I got a little bit of both. I, well, yeah. Booker T was a work for and don't take it down. But I understand what <laughs> <Yeah>. you're saying. <laughs> you, have, you have to have something tangible to leave yeah. college with in order to repay mm-hmm. the loans you probably took out to go there. You know, you think it was provocative now. It was it was on the it was hardcore mm-hmm. till the final cut where Tim wisely said we can't say that. Oh,
1: okay. Well, have like a Zoom like salon, and I'd be happy to <laughs> participate in the virtual wine and cheese where you, you guys <laughs> delve further. Damn,
2: writing this book. I mean, we we're we're in a full in marriage. We're th- we're going three years in a marriage. We done had some fights. He's hung up on me and not talked to me a couple of days. I've had to, I, I, yeah, I, I had to write a makeup book, husbands. Yeah, I had to write up a makeup text. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that he's he's yelled at me but this liberal arts chapter i mean it was the last chapter that we edited and you know i said shereen you got to take that out you can't say that he's like i mean we need to give it to him real I said, you can't say that you can't put that out in the world like this book is going to be seen by tens of thousands hopefully millions of people he, he, and then he slept on it he said all right i'm gonna take it out you always win this book could have been much more provocative, but you watered it down, and so I mean, it's it, 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 it was it's been great. Uh, I think we balance each other out. That's a the- good
1: balance. That's a good balance. What does the next year look like? You're in pre order now, right?
3: Yeah, so uh, thank you for that. No, we're, we're very excited about that, Sam. and We definitely want to return. Gina has been great resource for me for several years, and I've been watching her from afar, and like, you know, she's really doing it. So to be have this opportunity is great. So, I mean, the pre-orders are in. It is, you know, uh, this spring, we will embark on going to several conferences, um, several national conferences or regional conferences for uh, college admissions counselors um, to not just promote the book, but really get our messaging out there. And try to really stir the pot of black students and college admissions. What are you doing? College counselors, college, you know, admissions officers, how are you evaluating? And then trying to then take that information back to our parents. For the summer, we have you know coordinated with Gina and another woman to coordinate do an event at Martha's Vineyard. And then in the fall, excited, I
0: mean, excited. And then in, in the
3: fall, the book is actually released out to the world right in time for back to school, right? Back to school in mm-hmm. September. Um, The book comes out September 6th. We have a national college counselor conference in Houston at the end of the month. We go into the Morehouse versus Howard football game at the. the, uh, You know, you know. Uh, We're going to be at the homecomings, of course, (laughs) Howard, Morehouse. We're trying to go to the Bayou Classic. Like, we know we want to be where our people are, where Black families who are really committed to their kids' education and exploring. Uh, a ton of options, and just wanting to understand the choice. Our website is called understandingthechoices.com. We want families to know that beginning in high school or elementary school, middle school, whatever it may be, you have a choices that you need to explore.
2: I mean, the only thing I'll add is we have a Facebook group, Understanding the Choices, on Facebook that we want families, educators, allies to join because we want to continue this conversation because there are multiple perspectives and so that you know families can find success however they define it. Mm. For parent
1: mm-hmm. Black parents listening, Shereem and Tim, they have a roadmap of what you need to be following and what your students need to be following. So if you are a listener of articulating, buy this book when they are in the womb. No, I'm joking. <laughs> buy it. <laughs> I They recommend, you said middle school for most families reading it. I think for independent school families, I'd buy this as early as possible, because it's all about Mm -hmm. crafting the story and it's all about them figuring out, students figuring out their path. And so the earlier they can do that, the better.
0: Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. And I can see parents dog airing and just, you know, the book, the pages just being worn. I mean, I want families to get this as soon as possible because there are many schools, particularly independent schools, who are like, oh, we don't need you don't need to start talking about that yet. Never take your time with the college. No, we want to know. We want to know. And that helps us better advocate and network. So I love the book. I love the guide. Um, I can't wait for the conversations to begin this spring. And, you know, we just want you all to, um, to just promote the heck out of this book and we're going to help you do it because it's necessary.
3: Thank you guys. We really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yay.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, that concludes another episode of articulating if you enjoyed this discussion please pass it on to a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at articulating that's at Artic. period you lading thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks